Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. Today I am with Neil Sample, Chief Information Officer at Northwestern Mutual, and we'll be talking about emergent technologies such as artificial intelligence and blockchain. Welcome, Neil, and thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay, to start us off, would you please share some of the latest trends you're seeing around artificial intelligence and blockchain? You know, in the last few years, we've seen a, a tremendous increase in the pace of adoption of uh, artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. I think um, consumer and retail electronics, which are usually uh, leading adopters of new technology, um, have really taken to the agent, right, which is a, a form of um, uh, artificial intelligence that communicates directly with the consumer. And so we're seeing it in Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant. Um, and so, you know, usually what happens in those fields oftentimes makes their way into the workplace, makes their way uh, into the front and back offices. Um, another reason why we're seeing a lot of adoption for AI, of course, is that there's an opportunity to automate manual tasks. And if you think about it, if it's uh, completing forms or transcribing information or, or rerunning reports, they don't really add value even though they extract critical information. And these are the kinds of things that it's better to have happen uh, with a script or an artificial intelligent uh, agent. Um, and it really eliminates these manual tasks and allows your workforce to focus on the value generating uh, activities as well. Um, and then finally, we've seen a lot of AI used to enhance decision-making. Um, and so one of the patterns we're seeing is what's called next best action. And so you might call into um, a call center, for example, to get some servicing or support or inquire about an account. And that agent may not know you, they haven't worked with you before, but you've got a longstanding relationship, a set of interests, products with the company, et cetera. And what the AI can do is, is give a nudge and say, this is the next best action. And it might be an upsell or a cross-sell or an inquiry or uh, just an ask for information. Hey, have you updated your mailing address? And, and it helps to complete a cycle um, in real time with an opportunity that presents itself uh, in a way that without the machine learning, without the artificial intelligence behind it, we'd never be able to guess what, the, what that next best action is gonna be. Um, I have a little bit of a different perspective on blockchain. I think it's a little bit different. The more folks uh, come to understand the technology, the less sort of practical and general uses, less utility there's been. You know, Deloitte found recently that um, out of about 86,000 blockchain projects that they'd been aware of that had been launched, 92% of them had been abandoned by the end of 2017. Uh, and so I think blockchain um, really sort of peaked as a fad. We saw a tremendous number of opportunities, but as we started to apply them to the workplace outside of digital currencies, they really lost a lot of favor because of uh, some limitations. So in summary, I would say um, AI yay and, and blockchain nay. Okay, thanks, Neil. Uh, what can you tell us about the benefits of investing in these emerging technologies to an organization? You know, the, the really neat thing is that technology is a is a, the primary growth driver for, for many, many industries. And, and we don't always think about technology. And sometimes I find it's useful to walk backwards, walk away from technology, to pull technology out of the equation and see what the impact would be. So today, for example, at the cutting edge of farming, people are talking about sensors for soil analysis, uh, weather patterns, satellite data. Um, things that are really fairly sophisticated and tie well with um, with AI. 
but if you look at it the other way and you say, well, what it was state of the art for farming 10 years ago, and you start to pull things out, you could see that it would really uh, sort of impede the industry. So if you pulled out herbicides, you could say, well, okay, um, we'll still put people out in the field and they'll manually weed the crops. And then you say, all right, well, let's pull out irrigation. Um, then all of a sudden you start to have a yield problem. And you say, well, you know what, those tractors, right? Another form of technology, let's pull that out too. And all of a sudden you're left, you know, in sort of this pre-industrial um, nightmare from a, a food production perspective. And so, you know, we may not always think about how far technology takes us because the technologies themselves just get incorporated into our regular way of thinking. But when you start to think about what it means to pull them out, you can then get a sense for how important the next technology advancements will be. So, um, you know, for many businesses, it is a primary driver, uh, whether you're in farming or you're in health sciences or you're in insurance. Um, but a, a second benefit is really that allows people to better understand their customers and therefore meet their customer needs. Um, that you can anticipate customer needs by looking at their habits, looking at trends, looking at other customers like them. Um, and that really goes to not only their needs in the moment for maybe servicing, but if you think about the next products, the things that you're going to develop, you can use, uh, you can use your data, you can use your technology to figure out how to connect to them. And then finally, the pursuit of emerging technologies is oftentimes its own reward. Uh, helps you as a business build a culture that allows you to challenge yourself to disrupt your own ways of delivering products before you're beaten to the punch by a competitor, whether it's an established competitor or a startup that working in emerging technologies, again, allows you to open up and see the art of the possible uh, so that doesn't surprise you from a competitive uh, perspective um, and catches you unaware. Uh, the one caveat I would add, though, is that while technology can provide many benefits, you can't automate every task, and it's vital not to lose the human element of your business. That employee cultures and connections with clients that, that drive the success of an organization can't be replaced by technology. That technology may, for example, help you automate some mundane tasks, and that will leave you more time to focus on your products, to focus on your core, and to focus on your clients rather than less. I like how you think of this as a way to grow your business and, and better understand customers, which is so important when you're trying to create that sustainable competitive advantage that most organizations are looking to do. Where does an organization or leader get started if they're interested in pursuing these emerging technologies and haven't quite started yet? There's a few things I would start with. Um, you know, for me personally, continuous learning about technology is as much of, of a passion as it is uh, about my job at Northwestern Mutual. Um, I think that uh, if you are a company that relies on technology, whether it's the technology of, of data and systems and math uh, in a company like ours, or if you're talking about agriculture and it's a technology about soils and weather patterns and, and tractors and machines, you know, learning about those technologies is, is key because when you know about them, when you have awareness and understanding, then you can apply new technologies to the businesses that you have. So for me, I like to go deep. I like to have a, a deep dive on the issues. I like to um, go to conferences, talk to experts, do research online. Um, to the point that I can actually teach about the technology. And what I find is if I can explain it to someone else, um, that means I generally have a, a good enough understanding to start making decisions about it, that I don't have to rely um, on outside experts uh, who may know the technology better, 
but aren't going to know the business better. And so, you know, you can either teach them your business or you can learn the technology. And I find that learning the technology uh, is kind of the better way. Um, of course, when you think about implementing new technologies, I also think that it's critically important to understand the value proposition before you get there. A lot of times we hear about a new technology and it sounds revolutionary and, and you almost want to get there before the competition does. But if you do so in a way that's uninformed, oftentimes you'll distract yourself from the core mission. You'll go on this technology exercise, uh, and ultimately it won't be fruitful, and you'll, you'll simply have lost time uh, that could have been better spent elsewhere. The last thing I would say is that um, as a critical enabler for emerging technologies inside an organization, you do need to create a space for employees to feel like they can experiment and that, that they can fail that one of the, the tricks about a new technology is, is quite simply that it's new. It doesn't have the established use patterns and, and use cases. It doesn't have the track record inside your enterprise. And if you are conservative in that you will only allow something new into the system when you're sure that it won't fail, you won't have an opportunity to be an early adopter. You won't really be able to pull in uh, new technologies. Sometimes having smaller teams who are focused on innovation uh, is a way to bring in advanced technologies. You create maybe a safe space for a, a team outside the core to incubate the ideas. And if you successfully apply a, a pilot, for example, to your core product, then you bring it back into um, the rest of the environment and you, you incorporate it into the main line for your business. So those are a few of the ways that I think uh, we pursue technologies. Um, so it starts at the personal level, starts by uh, remaining uh, educated about them. It starts by taking uh, appropriate risks and pulling them in and then creating spaces for your employees um, uh, to potentially fail and learn from that process as they go along. Continuing on with the innovation theme that you've just started, uh, you know, as I think about the current business environment, how can we expect emerging technologies like AI and blockchain to come to the forefront of innovation amidst COVID-19 and beyond? Currently, one of the things that's been really remarkable is that companies had to very quickly uh, transition to remote working. Um, and so organizations that didn't have the proper infrastructure prior to COVID uh, were challenged to rapidly innovate to get their um, workforces up and running and, and get them back to being efficient and productive uh, in a way that they probably hadn't been challenged before. So I think the, the mere exercise of going through that sort of shift has gotten a lot of companies, have, have woken them up to not only their dependency on, on particular types of technologies, but given them uh, recognition that you can be quick and you can be nimble uh, in ways that have maybe, uh, and in areas that you maybe didn't think you could innovate before. Um, I think after COVID passes, of course, the remote working trend is something that will uh, continue, that will actually stick with us. You know, a lot of employers have found that it's a cost-effective option, um, that they don't have to have as big a, an investment in, in real estate, for example, or, or capital equipment. Um, and you've got employees who are drawn to the flexibility it provides as well. So I do think that while not everybody's going to go sort of work from home and never come back again, there will be um, a greater appetite and greater readiness to have a bit more of that. Um, there is a short-term consequence that I do think uh, some of the economic stresses in the macro environment means that some of the new investment in technologies might be cut or projects might be temporarily put on hold, uh, things that you were going to do for your business. 
But in the long term, I think it's actually going to push organizations forward um, in their own digital transformation, starting with maybe the employee experience, uh, even if they hadn't been as far along in either their business experience more generally, more broadly, um, or in their client experience as well. One area, though, that's specific to both kind of AI and blockchain that I think we will see continued investment in is around the supply chain. So we've got technologies um, like AI and analytics that are crucial to reducing labor costs and overhead. But as we've seen in sort of the COVID crisis, we have some incredible dependencies on a complicated supply chain that has to be well managed uh, if business continuity is to be maintained. And so it will be, I think, an investment in hindsight that many of the things that will come along, we sort of will have wished we had at the start of COVID, but they will leave us with a more resilient supply chain when we're done. However, I will make a, a bold prediction um, is even though supply chain is kind of seen as one of the sweet spots for blockchain, I don't think blockchain will actually make uh, kind of a resurgence in terms of popularity. So the, the challenge with blockchain remains uh, when it comes to supply chain that we've still got some sort of impossible traps that we're working through. Um, you know, there were some solved problems, for example, uh, a bank, for, for example, could um, reverse a payment request. And that was something that was impossible for something like cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, uh, that once you created a transaction, it was immutable. And we said, you know what, we know how to solve these problems classically, we'll have escrow. And so funds will be transferred to a third party, they will agree that a commitment has been fulfilled like a, a mortgage, um, and then they will eventually settle the transaction. And so some of those things that were really hard at the beginning, we said, listen, we'll just use classic techniques to make it look sort of more like real money. Um, on the other hand, there's still some fundamental problems that haven't been solved and that where the technology is kind of at loggerheads. Um, one of which is uh, the fact that you can't reverse a transaction um, runs uh, smack dab into European privacy uh, legislation. So thinking about the GDPR, it specifically has a right to be forgotten, meaning uh, when I record something about you as a client, if you choose to pull that data out, if you break our client relationship, I have a positive obligation to remove your personal data uh, from my systems. Once something's in the blockchain, it actually can't be removed. And so you start to narrow and narrow and narrow the number of uh, use cases. So as long as you don't have data, for example, about humans, you're maybe okay with the blockchain. Thanks for making those distinctions. It's good information to know. Uh, going back to COVID-19 real quick, uh, the pandemic has definitely changed a lot about the world of work and has put extra pressure on leaders in many aspects. What advice would you offer to technology and innovation leaders right now? Well, uh, a few things. First and foremost, I would say um, roll up your sleeves and get closely involved in the work. Um, and so when you are faced with a crisis, when you've got something like COVID-19 and you have a potential set of new technologies, whether it's AI and blockchain or, or other technologies, um, in order to be effective, to make decisions that have to be made in some cases very, very quickly, you've got to be close to the problem. You've got to be hands-on in both practice and approach. And so make time to, to sit down with the, uh, the engineering teams and the architecture teams, the folks who are ultimately going to build the product or do the software or, or help roll out the um, new productivity applications. You know, dive in deep, get into the details, um, because what that means is you'll make better decisions and you will have less rework. And so especially now when we're asked to make high value decisions in a very short period of time, 
because we're responding to a crisis, the closer you can be to the work, the better. Um, the second thing more generally is, is ultimately to, to stay curious. And when I say stay curious, I don't just mean about your workplace. I, I have a thing that I like to say, which is listen everywhere. Um, and so for us, we study what our consumers are experiencing in their day-to-day -day lives and think about how we can use their current experiences uh, to make things easier with our own technology. And, and what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, we may not be in competition with uh, the Amazon marketplace or, or thinking about the Apple ecosystem for consumer electronics. But those things are setting expectations of our customers. Amazon is defining the expectation of speed and reliability for delivery. Um, it used to be, uh, you know, that you would, um, you know, order a product and then get, uh, get that fulfilled and then eventually get a shipping date. Um, and, you know, something would show up in the mail, maybe through a catalog at some point in time. Now, Amazon will tell you when a product will get to you before you've actually ordered it. Right. Like if you think about what that implies, they'll say, listen, you can have it tomorrow if you order it by four o'clock. Not only is that incredible insight into their supply chain, um, but it's also a remarkable feature and sort of a, a price pressure that they've found really actually works to help them drive sales. Similarly, for um, the Apple ecosystem, you know, we don't compete with them at all. And yet for a lot of consumers, they define what excellence looks like, that, that they set the expectation for their app store, or their application experience, or what integrated applications look like. And so we try to listen everywhere. We try to listen to a lot of different domains, not just what our competitors are doing, but what our consumers expect. And then finally, you know, what that implies is you do need to stay focused on the customer and not the technology. So we focus on uh, improving, for example, our client experience, and the improvement may be uh, in the IVR, it may be on the website, it may be on the mobile application, but ultimately it's because we want to uh, improve the consumer experience, not because we get excited by a new technology. We're only excited by a new technology if it improves the client experience. And so that's the key, I think, is to, uh, whether it's through an, an explicit innovation program or you're uh, hearing something new from a vendor, you know, we always say, what is in it for the customer? And if there's not something immediate and obvious, uh, we're probably gonna, we're probably gonna take a pass um, because we aren't building technology for technology's sake. We build technology for our customers. I have one last question for our time together. In five to 10 years, where do you see emerging technologies showing up and how? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think it'll sound a little cliched, but the speed of digital transformation is going to increase, right? We've said this for a lot of years, and I think it's been true uh, for a lot of years, but it will continue to be true that we haven't run out of, of headroom um, and we're really seeing an accelerated uh, velocity of change with technology. Um, we've seen it recently, of course, with the local effect of COVID, that they forced businesses to speed up at least their internal digital transformation um, and their strategies. They had to accelerate timelines to meet the needs of a, of a distributed workforce or changes to their supply chain or disruptions to their market. And so we're seeing a, a real um, short-term adoption curve. But what's funny about that is that will provide a digital foundation for even more technology changes uh, to be put on top of it. And so some of those local changes, you know, we've seen the adoption of virtual meeting technologies that in some companies weren't really widely used at all and have now become overnight almost ubiquitous. 
Uh, we've seen like digital wellness programs being adopted in employee servicing or integrated fitness devices um, instead of people going to the gym, uh, that working out at home with a digitally enabled device and maybe you are effectively working out with friends online or you've got a coach and they're remote, We've looked across the spectrum and we've seen both a short-term uh, peak and spike, if you will, in digital adoption, but one that creates a foundation for longer-term uh, enhanced digital adoption as well. Um, the second thing, in, in five to 10 years, I think cybersecurity is gonna emerge, um, uh, re-emerge as even more important than it has been. Not that it's ever been unimportant, but as we increase the complexity of our organizations, we're gonna to have to increase our investment in security as well to ensure that we're properly protecting our customer data. You know, we saw the obvious short-term um, uptick in cybersecurity scams and, and breaches earlier this year. Um, never let a good crisis go to waste. And, uh, you know, our cyber criminals didn't either. There were phishing attacks that would um, prey on, on uh, perceived vulnerabilities, whether it was within your ecosystem or or uh, spear phishing attacks that would come in and, and target executives with uh, uh, scaremongering tactics around COVID-19. These are very rational actors and, and so they don't let a good crisis go to waste. But more importantly, after we're past that, you know, more virtual workers is going to lead to a larger attack surface. That having more people work from home or work remotely uh, means that there's a, a more of a surface to compromise. And more importantly, and this is one of the things that we're really, really going to have to apply some thought to and that the market will hopefully bring us tools for, is this new pattern where if you can compromise the home, you can then compromise the workplace. And so, you know, if you think about um, uh, wireless protocols inside an office, usually there are security certificates and, and you've got an IT department that's uh, distributing laptops and they know what the MAC addresses are, et cetera, et cetera that there's a really hard shell around the environment. Um, but there have been uh, exploits on the home front where people just don't change the default passwords on their routers. And so folks with, with older routers might have a compromised home network. And if that home network is now the bridge to the workplace, uh, there's some real risk there. Um, and then finally, after cybersecurity, I would say smart agents is really gonna be uh, something that's gonna emerge quite a bit both for individuals and for their roles in the workplace. Um, and by smart agents, I mean AIs that are actually tailored to an individual's actions. Um, years ago, we had Clippy with uh, Microsoft that distributed with Office, this little paperclip that would just occasionally pop up and give you ideas. It was too early. Uh, the technology wasn't great and people found it a little bit off-putting, but we've gotten over the uncanniness. There, there are a ton of consumers now, for example, who use Alexa, and Alexa as a learning base, as a technology, is also a training base. Not only is the product itself getting better, but it's getting people to be more comfortable with like voice-activated commands and having things done. And so I think we're right at the next wave for smart agents, that smart agents will help us come in, do those automated tasks uh, in the workplace, um, and have uh, an opportunity to essentially revolutionize the mundane. Uh, to take it out of our lives and allow us to focus on the, the core creation of business value. So it's a lot. Five to 10 years is a, a long way out, but I do think we will see the pace of change continue. Security is going to peak uh, as we get to distribution and complexity, and then smart agents will, I think, finally arrive in full. Thank you, Neil, for taking time to share your insights and expertise about emerging technologies. And thank you to everybody listening. We wish you luck as you continue on your leadership journey. 
Please check back regularly for additional episodes.